between generations, the younger generation and the older generation. And the guy that was speaking was in his late 40s, I think, maybe early 50s. And he was saying to a bunch of retired pastors, he's saying, look, if you have breath, you're not dead. You've got purpose. And, uh, and it was really cool. And, and so for those that are older, not that you're close to death, but you have purpose. And those that are younger, I want you to realize you're not here by accident. God has a plan for your life, for his glory, for his kingdom purposes. And as we pursue God and everything that he has for us, and as we've been studying Ephesians chapter 6, we understand that in this pursuit of what God has, there's a battle. There's a battle that we face. And as we consider 2012 and future and beyond, we need to be strong to be as strong as we can be, and we must be prepared, and we want to be positioned to work in our sweet spot, and we need to understand what that is, and we cannot win the battle, any battle, unless we understand what we're fighting against, and so we've been looking at what does spiritual warfare look like? What does the battle look like? It's more than just a bad day, we've said. It says in Ephesians 6 that when the day of evil comes, and we've said this over and over, but I want to recap, is that the day of evil is any day, or every day sometimes, when Satan is attacking. He's assaulting. He's filling your mind with doubts. He gets us to stop praying or gets us to stop reading his word. He fills us with worry or anxiety. Has anyone ever been there before? All of us have. Any day. And I do believe that it's possible that Satan can establish a stronghold or a foothold in the believer's mind if we're not careful. I was reading out of this book, and uh, this has been a blessing to me, Chip Ingram. It's called The Invisible War. It's really a a commentary on Ephesians chapter 6, what we've been studying. But he starts off the chapter on the battle uh, for your mind and the helmet of salvation where we're headed with a story of a guy that he knew that always was worried. He was near the end of his years, and his years, uh, he lived with anxiety, and each wrinkle and every gray eyebrow and sagging corners of his eyes showed the, how he was just consumed with worry. But this guy, you'd think, well, you know, maybe he needed to you know, be in church more. Well, no, he was in church every day or every, every Sunday. He would, would almost regularly every day read his Bible. He was consistent in his ties. He served as a deacon. He had no hint of moral failure. He'd been married for decades, raised a couple of respectable kids, and he ran a business, honestly. But then it says his stress had compelled him to live a life extremely conservatively. In his business, he made moderate success. As a Christian, that made for mediocrity in his Christian walk. He missed opportunities for extravagant generosity. He missed God's uh, leading to take huge steps of faith. He was a, the type of guy that would rarely express any emotion to anyone, really, but especially, especially when worshiping God. And he made, uh, he, even though he did love others, not others, many others couldn't tell all the time because if he would show love, he would have to be more vulnerable. And then it says here that he was full of regrets. His sins were relatively few, but he had no hope of putting them behind him. You say, well, what's wrong with this guy? He's towards the end of his life, and he's lived a Christian walk, but not with real victory. The problem is, is that he was eaten up with doubts and anxiety, lack of confidence in God's power 
and a fear of the unknown. And when it came to passion, things that God maybe had for his life, he would wane, he would lean back. And it says here, his thinking may have, may have made him a solid citizen, but a miserable Christian. He had lost the battle for his mind long, long ago. I believe that can happen. It's a sad story. But there is a solution, church. There's an antidote for worry and for discouragement and doubt and despair. Even boredom, I think, there's an antidote. And that antidote applies when we are tempted to embrace relativism or when we are tempted to embrace another religion or to water down the gospel that we know or any other tactic that, this, that the enemy would send our way. Now, this antidote it may not work 100% of the time, but in the scheme of our lives and when we consider ultimately, we will, this antidote will help you get final victory in your life. And that's what brings us to this final piece. It's the final defensive piece, I should say, in Ephesians chapter 6. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and why don't you stand with me? We're going to read from God's Word. We're going to look at this. And uh, it, we know that in uh, Ephesians six seventeen is where we're headed, that we are to take up some of these final pieces. But let's read Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Just by the way, everyone eyes on me for a second. If you haven't read the book of Ephesians in its entirety yet this summer, your assignment this week is to read the book of Ephesians. Everyone put up your right hand. Everybody. I'm not going on until we do. Everybody. Even if you've already done it, say after me, I will. I will. Read, Ephesians. read Ephesians. I promise, Pastor. <laughs> okay. All right. Because we'll understand what that means. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take up your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, which is any day that the Satan is attacking you may be able to stand your ground. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. We have to be ready, church. And so the belt of truth represents a readiness that we are ready. We gird up the things that would keep us from being able to fight. And we put it in and we say, all right, God, we're ready to fight with the belt of truth around our waist with the breastplate of righteousness in its place. We talked about that there's a holiness that God desires from us and that we must continually be pursuing in our lives. We put on righteousness. And we said that there are many things that a believer will be attacked upon or many things that will trip up a believer and it's a result of, of a lack of holiness. And so we need to pursue that. So to put on the uh, the breastplate of righteousness, with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Aren't you glad that God is for us and not against us? We are at peace with God. And we also said that when we talk about peace, that God, he desires us to be at peace, at rest with him. We can rest in who he is. And that frustrates the devil more than many, many other things. And then in verse 16, above all, or in addition to all of this, 
take up. The language changes. When the battle's raging, at that point, we take up the shield of faith, which will extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then again, in verse 17, we take up the helmet of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so incredible. You teach us, God, to follow your ways. You teach us to put on these elements, to take up these elements so we can have victory. And Lord, I pray as we unleash or unpack what the helmet of salvation means to us, I pray that you would help us. Help us to understand your word and help us to put these things, your word, and practice in our lives. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Amen. Let's take a look at what a helmet looks like, you know, uh, as we kind of dive into what the helmet. (laughs) Who's excited for football season, right? Yeah, right, a few of you. But let's take a look at a real helmet. I mean, a Roman soldier's helmet. That's what we're kind of talking about here. Okay, so here's a picture. There's a couple varieties there. What you can know about a helmet for a Roman soldier or any soldier for that matter, no soldier would go into battle without a helmet. Does that make sense? It's the last piece that they put on. It protects their head. It protects their noggin. If you were to be hit in the head on the field physically, there's a high potential that you would be knocked out. Now, a Roman helmet was made of bronze uh, and then covered in leather. And I'm not sure these pictures, you know, there's a couple varieties here, but uh, they were made uh, that not like a helmet today. There's no, there was no like safety ratings or anything like that, but they knew that they needed to protect their head because those swords would come down on their head and it needed to be able to be deflected off and, uh, and then to, you know, to, to protect them. It was made uh, for really pr- to protect from hand-to-hand combat. When you were face-to-face with the enemy, and they're swinging a sword, and you're swinging their sword, that if they're going to nick you in the head, that you would not just be out automatically. So physically, if you were hit in the head, you'd be out. But think about it spiritually. If we are, take a blow to our thinking, you're on your way out. And the fact is, is Satan, he keeps on attacking until he knocks you out. And so if you think that you could live without a helmet, forget it. We need the helmet of salvation. Now, Francis Schaeffer, he says something very interesting. He says the spiritual battle, the loss of victory, is always in the mind or in the thought world. Now, Francis Schaeffer, that's a reflection of God's word. When you read God's word, we understand that the battle is in the mind. Human thinking is ground zero, so to speak, for this spiritual battle. And because of that, you must know that God is concerned with our thinking, the way we think. Now, many Christians believe that the warfare is primarily in their circumstances or in their behaviors or in their work or in their relationships. But the battle, it starts in the mind. If Satan can distort our thoughts and our emotions and our knowledge of who he is, then our behavior and our relationships and our work, so on and so forth, 
will be affected. Turn with me to a couple verses that kind of highlight this. The first one, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, very, uh, again, you know, Paul is writing this, and so it's the same author, but listen to what he says in verses 3 through 5. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. It's not flesh and blood. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, this is interesting. He's saying, look, we are fighting against those powers of the, of the world or spiritually that would come against what God's word says. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen? How about Romans chapter 8? Look there with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Turn there and let's see what that says. Verses 6 and 7 says this, the mind, our mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Naturally, unaccompanied by the Spirit, our mind is going to lead us to death. But with the Spirit, we can live our minds controlled by the Spirit. And there's life and there's peace. One more verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to what it says here. I love this. It says, The God of this age, Satan, his plan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And the reason I like that is because it gives us a mental picture that, that Satan is concerned with our thinking as well. God is concerned with it. Satan is concerned with it. And because of that, we need the helmet of salvation. So what does the helmet of salvation mean? On first blush, when you kind of look through that and you read that, you're saying, well, doesn't it mean putting on salvation? And I would say yes and no. Well, first of all, yes is that salvation, uh, yes, we need to put on salvation. We need to be saved. God needs to fill us. If you're lost, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's the first step. And what's great about salvation is really there are three components of salvation. We were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And there are three kind of uh, big theological words that kind of wrap around that. Though the fact that we were saved when we said, Jesus, come into my life, that's justification. We are saved, ju we're, we're looked at just as if we never sinned. But in the present, today, we are being sanctified, right? We're, there's a process of being, come, being holy. And then in the future sense, we will be glorified. There's glorification as well that one day we'll be caught up with Jesus. And we're going to talk about that. And what Ephesians 6, 17, though, is more than just salvation. As you kind of dig in and look at the context of what, what Paul is saying in Ephesians and in other writings, we understand that there's an emphasis of protecting the human mind. And really, it's seen throughout the New Testament in Paul's writing, in the, in the Gospels, and all the way through. Almost on every page, you can see that we need to protect our minds. 
Think on things that are pure and true and lovely. There's all kinds of warnings against false teachers. There's, there's the role of thinking in trans, the transformational process in our lives. Of course, we see Romans 12, to put on, to be renewed in our mind. All these things. Now, the key is putting on the helmet of salvation. It's not just putting on a little extra protection, not just a quick morning prayer saying, okay, God, I, I need you today, and then boom, you're off. What we're talking about is the difference between eternal truth and fatal error. And I don't want to over-dramatize this, but it's the difference between life and death. We need the helmet of salvation. I need it. You need it. So how does it work? We've been talking through this series, through the summer, that Satan, he's attacking. He hates our guts. He fills us with doubts and struggles and flaming darts and what I want you to know is that faith can only respond to the truth that we've been taught, that we understand. So we need to understand the knowledge that we allow into our minds is really important. We need to guard that. Our minds need to be filled with foundational knowledge, things like we are justified, we are secure in who Christ is in our lives. That we are children of God. That we do have kingdom authority. We do know that the promises of God are what? Yes, yes and amen. And if we don't do that, our minds can be easily diverted, easily distracted. There can be disaster. The bottom line is we become ineffective as believers. Now, Paul, this is not the only place that he writes about this. He writes about it in other spots. In fact, one of those is in Thessal Thessalonians. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8. And again, he uses the same terminology as a metaphor. And what I want you to see here is the power of salvation and what it means to us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Let me back it up in verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Okay, so he kind of is relating to the, uh, the armor again, the breastplate. And then he says, and putting on the hope of, of salvation as a helmet. The hope of salvation. The hope of salvation, past, that we are saved, present, that we are being saved, and the future, that we will be saved. And we can stand firm in that. And what I love about that idea is that the hope of salvation, it helps us when we're facing opposition, when we're struggling when we're suffering, when we're up against a battle in our lives. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's turn there. Listen to what it says. Romans chapter 5. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand. Amen? And we rejoice in the hope 
of the glory of God. There's this hope that we can trust in. Not only so, but also rejoicing in our sufferings. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We talked a little bit about this last week at the end of our service. But then verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope will not disappoint us. Suffering will oftentimes be transformative in our lives. We don't understand why we suffer, but we can hope in the Lord. Now, I want to talk about something that, you know, is, is kind of hard to talk about. But there's a lot of what-ifs in our lives. What if this or that go wrong? What if the anxiety gets over control, out of control? What if the ministry you know, uh, just goes down the tube? What if my work situation you know, turns to ashes? What, you know, what if my kids don't make it? What if this? What if that, right? Well, the truth of salvation, the hope of salvation, in light of all of those what-ifs, puts our minds in a, pa- in a place of peace. The truth of salvation is hope. Ultimately, even if I die, I will spend an eternity with a Father in heaven who loves us. That's not bad. As believers, the best is yet to come. If you're not a believer, the worst is yet to come. It doesn't matter if you're down and out, if you're going bankrupt, if one of your kids has cancer, which would be horrible, but if, or if your business partner has bailed or your finances are in the ditch, whatever the case, whatever you may be facing, you may have lost your best friend, you may have been in a broken relationship, the worst that could happen to you is that you die and then you be with Jesus. Now, I don't want to be morbid and I mean... But our hope is in the Lord. Ultimate hope and ultimate victory comes from Jesus. You say, well, did Paul understand this? Well, absolutely. In 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 1, turn with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this. You you say, well, how did Paul just continue on? Well, listen to it. In verses uh, 8 through 10, it says, We do not want you, brothers, to be uninformed, about the hardships we have suffered in the province of Asia. And if you've studied Paul in any of his missionary journeys, Paul, he went through it. We've been under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even the life. They're saying we don't even want to live. It's how bad it was. Indeed, our hearts felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly uh, peril and he will deliver us again on him. Listen, on Jesus, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. That's the hope of salvation. Amen. Thanks. The helmet of salvation gives us unquenchable hope. 
Our hope is not in our finances. Our hope is not in our relationships or our business partners. It's not in our, in our circumstances. Our hope is in Jesus. So how does that apply? How does that apply to you? First of all, I want you to think, why does God concern himself with your mind so much? Personalize it. Okay, think about your own thoughts. Why, God, are you so concerned with my mind? And then I want you to examine, are there patterns that undermine your faith? Thought patterns, things that you allow in, that you dwell on, that undermine your confidence in God. Because that's where the battle is. Now listen, if you can think of maybe your spiritual hero, can you all think of someone in your life maybe that you kind of admire spiritually? You know, maybe a Mother Teresa or a, uh, you know, a Joyce Meyer or a, uh, you know, a Billy Graham. You know, when you think about some great figures of faith, how would you describe their faith? How would you describe their thinking? Are, were they people that are willing to take risks? Or were they people that were always defeated, always down? No. People of great faith, not that it's all pie in the sky, but they are encouraged by what God is doing. And they can face unbelievable challenges with God. And it's the helmet of salvation that protects great people of faith from the enemy, from their the thinking that the devil would love to sneak in and twist your thinking. Let me ask you this. What would change in your life if you really considered yourself dead and alive in what God has and about his glory? That you say, my life is not my own. I lay it down. If you really understood that, and grasp that. You're dead in Christ, but alive. Would things change? Would you act different? See, we need to put on our helmet of salvation so we can get the right perspective to let God be the one that fills our lives. Now, physically, there have been three times in my life that I've been protected by a helmet. I was thinking about that this week and just kind of mulling that over in my mind. Once was on a mountain bike, going down a hill. Um, it was called the Devil's something or other. Uh, on, a, on a loop, it was like a 20-mile loop, and we we're about 10 miles in. And I didn't slow down enough, got a little airborne. When I hit, I hit a, a set of roots that I wasn't anticipating, went over, hit my head so hard, my helmet broke in three pieces not only did that happen, my seat broke off of my bike and my front tire was all wobbly. And, uh, and that was, you know, it was Reagan born? I don't think she was even born. So it was pre-Reagan. So that was, you know, 13, 14 years ago. All right. So that was the first time. The second time I hit my head and was protected by a helmet. I was doing a motorcycle day um, out at Grattan, out in northeast um, Grand Rapids area. And I took a motorcycle out and was learning to drag my knee and having a good time. It was one of my 50 goals. And late in the day, I was fatigued. I knew I was fatigued. I knew my muscles, they were like starting to shake. You ever been there before? 
And uh, out of turn one, if you know what I'm talking about, um, I enveloped my bike and I went down. My helmet did hit the cement and about 70 miles an hour, I slid. And thank God, you know, I didn't hit anybody else and I was safe. And, but the helmet protected me. But really the most substantial hit I took, it actually, I was in a group uh, riding my bicycle again. Wait a second. All of these are with wheels. Maybe I should learn my lesson. No, no. But I was riding in the, in the APAC out of a group ride. Uh, Matt's been on that ride with me before. And uh, going about 28 miles an hour, went to grab a bottle to get a quick drink, which I know now you never do in the pack unless you're on the very tail of the pack, whatever. But um, anyway, my, I, my tire uh, hit the tire in front of me. Uh, he didn't even you know, hardly feel it, but I went over, and I ended up waking up in the ambulance. And, uh, but again, I hit my head, helmet cracked, and God really protected me. And I'm thankful that you know, I was smart enough to wear a helmet in those circumstances three times that I can think of. And maybe you've you know, had a fall or maybe a helmet, maybe a batter, you know, you're batting and you know, a baseball's hit you and the, the batter's helmet has saved you or whatever the case might be. But I was thinking about this, that three times that I can think of in my life that I've been saved by a helmet, physically. But then I said, spiritually, there are hundreds of times that the helmet of salvation, the hope of my salvation has saved my life. And I'm so thankful for that. And not that it works 100% of the time. We're not going to get it right all the time. We're not going to you know, be on victory's lane all the time. There are moments of darkness and, and real struggle. But ultimate victory, church, is ours when we understand who God is and we put on this protection to protect our minds from the enemy's attacks. That's what God is calling us to do, to put on the full armor of God. And that last defensive piece is putting on the helmet of salvation. You know, this morning, if you don't know Jesus, and I'm looking around, and my guess is the majority of us do, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, don't leave here without saying yes to Jesus letting him come into your life. Because it starts with salvation. He promises to save you just as if you've never sinned. Well, what about this? Nope, it's cleared. What about the time I did this? Nope, it's clear. And he provides that to all of us. Salvation is first. But then, after we're saved, we need to put on this protection to protect our minds, to protect our passions, so we can take steps of faith. And I'm wondering that are there some of us here this morning that if we were honest and we understand the context of what the, this uh, armor is, that our head has been unprotected. We've allowed the enemy to fill our minds with doubt and struggle, and you know, and we need the helmet of salvation to protect us, the hope of our salvation to protect us. Maybe you're up against something physically. You're saying, man, I'm really up against it. And uh, this challenge in my life or in my family's life, and it could be cancer, it could be some other sickness. Um, you know, we need to take up 
the helmet of salvation to protect us. And God, he desires that for each and every one of us. Now, I love my wife. I love her deeply, more today than I did yesterday. But my helmet isn't as big enough for both of us. She needs to put on her own helmet, and I need to put on my own. And God, he wants us to walk in that kind of protection each and every day of our lives. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? This morning, if you're here, you're saying, Pastor, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and <coughs> I desire to know Jesus as my personal Savior, to make it right, to take that first step. If you're here today and you want to get your heart right with Jesus, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray with you and ask God to come into your life. Anyone at all? You're saying, yep, that's me. I, if I were to die today, I would not be protected. I would spend an eternity away from Jesus. Anyone at all? Just slip up your hand so I can tell. Yeah, is anybody at all? All right. All right, praise the Lord. I don't see anybody's hands if, unless I missed it. With your head continue to be bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to think about your life for a moment. And the idea that in the present, today, we are being sanctified. We are being made holy. And the question I want you to ask is, how would your life change if you really considered your life to be the Lord's? That you were dead. You were, gave up your life for Jesus and lived only for God and for his glory. See, the thing is, as humans, we can get caught up in what's important to us, our family, our business, our hobbies, whatever's going on financially or school or sports. But what would happen if you really considered your life to be Christ's, that you gave up your life and only lived for God and his glory? What would change in your life? What would be different? And then the other thing I would want you to consider is, are there things in your life that you have allowed to undermine your faith? Things in your mind that you have allowed in that have affected your ability to be confident in who God is. And if there are, can we surrender those to Jesus? Can we realize that our hope is not in our finances or in the people around us or in our circumstances, but our hope is ultimately in Jesus? I love what Paul says, to live is what? Christ. To die is to gain. I don't think that was just some cliche. I think Paul meant that. And I would challenge you and I would challenge myself to grapple with that. Lord, my life is not my own. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I want to declare publicly that my life is not my own 
today. And I would <coughs> change a few things, perhaps, if, as I understand who I am in Christ and I live for His glory, for His honor. If you're saying, yeah, that's me. I, my life is not my own. Would you just stand right where you are just as a declaration saying, you know what? Today, I'm going to take a stand and I am going to declare that I am living for Christ in my life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, as we stand together, as we embrace who you are in our lives, help us, Lord, to know you and the power of your resurrection, like Paul said to the Philippian church. And Lord, help us to live for you, to put on the helmet of salvation, that the hope of our salvation would get us through no matter what we're facing. And Lord, I don't want to minimize the pain or the trouble that we may be facing. I understand there are seasons of deep hurt and deep trouble, and there's grieving, and there's all kinds of things that can happen. But Lord, ultimately, as we are protected by the thought that we are saved, that if we were to die even, that we would be in heaven, Lord, I pray that that would be a great assurance to not only me, but to your people here this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would learn to walk in confidence. Walk in confidence that we would put on the armor of God. We would be putting on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We would be putting on the shoes of peace. We would be taking up the shield of faith. And Lord, we would not head into battle without putting on the helmet of salvation. Lord, we pray this for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. God's word is good, isn't it? And we can walk in confidence. When we leave here today, know that you're protected by the hope of your salvation. It, I, to me, that is incredible. And, uh, and just let that just sink in and walk in that confidence and that victory. Amen? Whether you're young or old, in between, single, married, it doesn't matter. Walk in confidence. Amen. Now, we want to transition, and I, I believe that you guys can do this with me. If you have to slip out, you know, we understand, but we're going to ask that everyone stay as much as possible. 